Hello and welcome to Decoding Security. The principle of least privilege is an important aspect of security in any situation, whether you're talking your website, your business, your home, your car, really any area of your life that, that may need to be secured in any fashion. This principle basically says that you're only giving the necessary access to anyone who needs it, and no one will have more access than they need at any given time. Before we get a little bit more into this topic, Ram, what's going on in the news right now? entire world is abuzz with Spectre and Meltdown, which are two vulnerabilities that impact just about everything with the processor. Uh, that is to say, a lot of companies like Intel have uh, already released patches. While not every device is impacted, the devices that are impacted are common enough that everyone will probably own a device that's impacted. So what are these vulnerabilities, Ram? In short, they both rely on something called speculative execution. That is to say, processors will try to save time by guessing what you're trying to do and taking some of the steps ahead of time. Both of these essentially rely on peeking in on parts of the processor that are doing the speculative execution that uh, you shouldn't be able to peek in on. With Meltdown specifically, it's essentially the kernel and the other applications share a memory space, which they kind of shouldn't, but you know saves time. They're introducing something called kernel page table isolation to mitigate it. Uh, it does seem to slow things down quite a lot, though, especially on a number of newer machines, but they're already working to mitigate that as well. So basically what speculative execution is, if I'm understanding you correctly, is kind of the predictive text of a processor, right? So more or less, the yeah. processor is going to try to guess what you're going to do or going to type based on your habits. Yeah, and then it throws it out if you're not actually allowed to ask it to do that thing. But sometimes you can catch it in the act of throwing out that content that it was guessing at. Right. And see what you would have gotten if you had those permissions. Okay. So like Ram said, the patches are being released. It looks like Apple has already released patches for Safari and iOS devices. Uh, Microsoft is working to release patches, but before they can do that, they're saying that they need antivirus products to basically check to make sure that they're not calling to the Windows kernel in any way. Linux released their kernels, so they are updated. If you are running the latest versions of your Linux kernels, you should be fine. And Google actually released the Android updates for it back on January 3rd. So. That's because Google knew more before almost anyone else did. Yeah. A lot of tier two and lower vendors are kind of angry at the researchers that they only told the really big players about this before they released the bug. Right, even though it was a, a bug that will pretty much impact everybody in some way. They are saying right now that one of the big challenges with patching Meltdown Inspector is that it is going to be very difficult to remove that speculative execution without causing damage to speed and processing power. So prepare to see some devices that you guys own take a hit in terms of performance, but that should be temporary before things get optimized again. Yeah. One of the main concerns with both Spectre and Meltdown is that they could be used to break out of virtual machines, which are usually a pretty safe way of running stuff you don't quite trust. This applies to web hosting, especially since almost all uh, hosted websites are run in a virtual machine of some sort. Being able to break out of those and access the bare metal underneath would be a very bad thing with capital letters. One thing that both Meltdown and Spectre kind of illustrate in a sort of roundabout manner is the principle of least privilege. That is to say, the idea that you should only give 
anyone or anything as much permission as they absolutely need in order to get something done. Right. And what that means, what that can be applied to is your employees. If you run any type of business, whether that's enterprise level at Walmart or whether that's the mom and pop shop down the street, web designers or server admins that you hire, and then just who you allow access to on your home network, right? So your your kids, your husband, your wife, whatever, whoever has access to your PC, you can always apply the principle of least privilege. It's just like the whole need to know thing. Exactly. You don't need to know my password. Exactly. It basically boils down to the concept of what you consider to be classified information on a smaller scale. So when you're talking about web designers and server admins, a couple of ways that you can enforce the principle of least privilege is that anytime you hire anybody to do anything with your website or server, they should have their own account. They should have a specific admin account set up that only has the permissions necessary to do their job. If they need database access, they should have database access and nothing else. If they need WordPress access, they should only have a WordPress admin user and not a hosting admin user, right? Correct. Even if one person is managing all these things, they should use a separate account for each of those. And a separate strong password for each of those two, which we gripe on it all the time, right? Password managers, this is where they come in handy. This is a real use application for something that we talk about all the time. Uh, it's like bulkheads on a ship. That way, if you run into an iceberg, the, the entire ship hopefully won't sink. <laughs> Theoretically. Theoretically. Another thing that you can do, you should always be removing old users. So as soon as that web admin or that freelancer is no longer working for you, you should go in and nuke all of his usernames and passwords to prevent anyone from being able to either get a hold of those through a compromise or prevent the vindictive web designer who's mad that they got fired from going in and trashing all your content. Well, I mean, it's not going to stop a truly vindictive web designer who's intending to do that in the first place, but a lot of crimes are crimes of opportunity. That's true. Oh, hey, I just happen to still have logins for that site. And on the subject of vindictive web designers, the gig economy is a big deal right now. And freelance is part of that gig economy. There are sites out there like TaskRabbit, like Amazon Turk, like... Fiverr, where you can hire anybody off the street to do pretty much anything technically related. Um, don't do that. That just gave me a really good idea to gain access to everyone's websites. Yeah, see? Exactly. There's no stopping nefarious actors on the internet, right? No one is who they say they are. When you go to hire a freelancer or a web designer or a web admin or a webmaster, always ask for references. If they're on the up and up, they should be able to provide you a portfolio and contact numbers for clients that they've worked with. Talk to those clients. Make sure that they haven't gone in and trashed a website after they were no longer employed with the company. Get positive references or negative ones. Yeah, and uh, by that matter, don't expect to, you know, get a web designer that's actually worth something paying them only $5 to build your website. Exactly. You get what you pay for. It is true. If you run a business and you have employees, it's just scientific fact that humans are the weakest and costliest link in security. So what do you do to stop that? For one thing, tell your employees not to plug in any flash drives they find on the ground but we've already covered that in a past episode. I did read that there was a, a tech conference in Taiwan last week and three and five USB drives that were given away at the security conference in Taiwan were infected with malware. Always source responsibly. Check out your freebies. Make sure there's nothing weird on them. Other things that you can do, force password changes and firmware updates. Just don't leave that in the hands of your employees because if you do, I guarantee they're lazy and they just won't. Make it part of your 
IT process that software updates and reboots are mandatory and forced without employee consent, and that employees have to change their password every 60 to 90 days is the recommendation usually. That is what they say. Don't allow employees who don't need admin have admin on their computers because they will install all sorts of things. Trust me, I know I've done this. Most of them weren't actually bad, but you know, it only takes once. Right. Yeah. If if they don't need to install software, if you can manage a company-wide software suite that gets auto-installed that has everything they need and forces the software updates, there's typically no need for your lower-level call center agent to have admin on their computer. What do they need to be installing? By that means, though, make sure you actually update stuff on in a timely manner if you do that because... If not, they're going to gripe, and for good reason. And Google Drive and OwnCloud and Dropbox are great tools for storing data for your company, but make sure that you're not storing sensitive corporate data or employee files in shared drives. If you're storing all of your HR documents, I guarantee there is some employee who is just cruising around your intranet looking for documents that they shouldn't have access to. Well, you know what they say, the cloud is just someone else's computer. That is accurate. And when you said intranet, that's actually a very good point. If you can manage it, do an intranet. That way you can keep all of your really super top secret stuff on site from a place that you have to, you know, intentionally access. And if you can't manage your own intranet, if your business isn't large enough to be able to handle the cost of implementing an intranet and on-site servers, at least use IP filtering. Your internal tools and internal documentation should only be accessible from your internal IP addresses. So what can people do at home, I guess, is then the next question. At home, your shared computers should always have individual accounts and permissions. Kids in particular should not have admin permissions for just a host of reasons, right? And again, I think all of us can testify from personal experience uh, because we were those kids. Right. We were probably the first generation that had our own computers or shared our parents' computers before there was such a thing as individual accounts, when everybody just logged in with whatever password was on the computer. I got really good at wiping and re-imaging my computer. Of course you did. Hey, hey, just, hey, it it took me a few tries to figure out that that awesome song on LimeWire was not actually a song. Right. Yeah, kids are notorious for downloading things and not reading the the instructions or the permissions. Or the file type. Also, yes. So there's no reason they should ever have admin privileges for their protection and yours. You can set up logging from your admin account usually and monitor what's being downloaded to the computer. If you're feeling super fancy, you can install custom firmware on your router sometimes and it'll give you expanded logging and uh, access control capabilities. Oh, neat. I actually didn't know that either. That's why RAMs are malware wizard. In more general terms, you should remove unneeded software and require admin permissions to install software from unfamiliar sources. On the kind of topic of permissions, be careful with what you're installing and always read what permissions they're asking for. I tried to download a game the other day from the Google Play Store that asked me if it could make phone calls. Yeah. That's yeah. not good. No, no. Why Why on earth would my game need to make phone calls? That's actually a pretty common method, actually, is paid text messages. Phone malware does this all the time. It'll actually invisibly send text messages to pay services that go into the attacker's account. Huh. Well, there you go. That's exactly why you should be careful with the permissions that any applet you're installing either on your PC or your phone are asking for. Sounds to me like I need to start developing some phone applications. <laughs> you could just run a crypto miner on them. Yeah. I got nothing for that. (laughs) 
With that, now that our wheels are turning, uh, what's the tip you want to send our listeners home with today, Topher? One aspect of this that you two didn't really go over, because it doesn't necessarily directly fall under the principle of least privilege, but it kind of does. You yourself, as the highest level administrator, presumably on, on your systems, should not be using the highest level access that you have at your disposal all the time. If you're on a Linux box, you should not be running as root. You should be running as a user and sudo or switch to root as needed. The same thing goes for a Windows system. If you're the one administering your machine, give yourself credentials for just your average day-to-day tasks, and then give yourself an administrator login. This just provides that extra little bit of protection to make sure when something requires those escalated privileges, you're taking that extra little step of precaution uh, to make sure that what you're doing is something that's actually necessary and it's being done properly. It's sure easier to hit that yes button than it is to type in a password. Very true. Well, thank you then, Jessica and Ram, and thank you to our listeners. The music, Upbeat Forever, by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Decoding Security is hosted by Jessica Ortega and Ram Gall and produced by Topher Tebow for SiteLock. 